action. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson, and Josh Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies to celebrate the release of Josh's new book, The Shadow Glass, published by Titan and out in all good bookshops now. We are deep diving into the best of 1980s fantasy and sci-fi and seeing what got Joshua's creative juices bubbling. Oh, it just never gets better. Just never gets better. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love a bit of bubble bath with Joshua? Have a winning time in the bath with Josh. <laughs> we watched Willow from 1988, directed by Ron Howard. Joshua. Queen Bavmorder is a baby-killing monster. Obsessed by a prophecy that states a child with a special birthmark will bring about her demise, Bavmorda, played by Jean Marsh, scours the land for her enemy. Unbeknownst to her, the baby has ended up with Willow Ufgood, played by Warwick Davis, a humble farmer and a Nelwyn dwarf who would rather learn magic tricks than go on a quest. However, when the baby takes a liking to him and the villagers, the villagers agree that she must leave the village... Willow embarks on a dangerous journey to convey her to the safety of Tirazlin, encountering brownies, Val Kilmer, and, yes, trolls along the way. So I'd never seen this before. Blah, 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 blah. You've never seen Willow before? I'd never seen Willow before. <laughs> oh, wow, okay, this is going to be good. <laughs> Please tell me your reaction in five words or less. Um... I was surprised. No Muppets. <laughs> I was, yeah, no. Like watching going, when did the Muppets come up? Where are the Muppets? Why did you think there were Muppets in it? Because everything from that period of, you know, fantasy films in the 80s basically had Muppets yeah. in it. Dark Crystal, <laughs> Labyrinth. I just assumed Willow was like going to be a Muppet. And then I turn it on and... Bloody Warwick Davis from Tenable Quiz Show is on it. <laughs> yeah, no, no Muppets in this one, but there are other creatures that, that kind of are like scary versions of Muppets, maybe more like Dark Crystal style creatures. Like the yeah. Knock, Knock Bar, they're called Knock Bar. The Knock Bar. What monster was that? The Lock Bar. The Knock Bar, they're like the, the dog thing, the ratty dog things that sort of run around trying to eat babies and people. Oh, <laughs> Do you mean? Do you mean the uh, clearly dogs wearing a pig costume? <laughs> I was watching, going. I don't know what you're I've talking never about. Seen pigs move that fast. That's clearly a dog. I can see its legs sticking out. It's like when you cover up a car with a blanket. You know, it's a car. It's a bit like the um, that the space creature in Stargate on the sand dunes with the massive horns. When it starts running, it's clearly just a horse. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> it's you like, know, yeah, going back horse. to what we said on the Empire Strikes Back episode, sometimes CGI is good. <laughs> I actually think the Nokmar are really creepy, and I I think maybe it must be a holdover from being a kid. But I still find them really quite scary, and I can't see them as dogs. I still just see them as pig things oh I, i've seen them as nothing but dogs wearing a hat but <laughs> it is scary and it is 
absolutely brutal when they fucking tear into the midwife and eat her. Oh, yeah. He doesn't hold back. And this is a kid's film. Is it a PG? I think it is a PG, isn't it? Probably. I mean, there was probably a Happy Meal or a Whopper Meal attached to this film. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Have yourself a little pig monster. I was surprised how young Warwick Davis is. He's 18 here. 17, isn't he? Well, Well, 17, 18. Yeah, he is young. So young, because usually when we we see a a film with Warwick Davies in from the past, you don't see him because he's covered in makeup or a costume. Mm. It's only when you get to things like... Like Professor Flitwick. Yeah, or when you get to things like Extras or uh, Life's Too Short, where you go, oh yeah, that's Warwick Davies. He's like Max von Sydow. Yeah. You never really think of Max von Sydow as young. No, you never, never think of Warwick Davies as ever being young. Yeah. I know, I was really shocked when I found out he was only, what, 17 when he made this. Because as a kid, he seemed yeah. like a grown-up. Um, so then when you go back and you're like, holy shit, yeah, he's a teenager. It's crazy. He's a baby. He was like, what was he, 11 or 12, 13 when he played Wicket in Return of the Jedi? Yeah, he was 12 years old when he did Star Wars. And that's when George Lucas said to him, I'm writing a, a character for you right now. You're going to be the lead. You're going to be the hero. Mm. Um, and so he waited like what five years to act for technology to catch up enough for him to actually do this, which is hilarious when you consider yeah. the technology wasn't good enough mm. to do Willow, but it was good enough to do space battles. <laughs> yeah, but it's a completely different type of technology, and I, th- I mean, well, we can talk about the, the technology now because one of the things that when I was watching it, aside from the fact of thinking, this is amazing, there's so many dwarfs. What an amazing, yeah. you know, we talk about representation now, but this is almost 40 years ago and that representation is phenomenal. Like, there's no, there's no, like, kids in the background pretending to be dwarfs, much in the same way that Nicholas Rogue's version of the witches yeah. would have a couple of fat, ugly men dressed up as ugly women. Yeah. Bald men. So to have that many dwarfs on screen and to have them just be in there unapologetically playing this race of people, brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And just completely groundbreaking in terms of representation in film. Um, yeah. It's the most little people ever used in a film. Um, I think Wizard of Oz held the held the I was going to say Wizard of Oz must have had some sort of record. Yeah, but then, I mean, and hilariously, I mean, not hilariously, but slightly hilariously, this was originally an idea called Munchkins by George Lucas. Yes. And yeah. uh, clearly that didn't fly by 1988. Um, and it wouldn't fly today no. either. But um, yeah, this wouldn't is like... Fly, the, but also surely, surely the name Munchkins is held by the, mm. the estate, whoever owns Baum. the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that was my, my first thought of great representation. My second thought was, why was this film made? What was the point of it? I know want to tell a story, yada, yada, yada. But mm. if there's one thing we know about George Lucas, especially post-Star Wars, when he was involved in the project, it was always to do with advancing whatever technology him and the wizards at ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, had been cooking up for the past five, six years. Mm. And it wasn't until we got to the morphing scene where it goes from being a goat, then it's a llama, then it's a 
chicken or then it's a lion and then a tiger and then it's a woman. I thought, oh, they yeah. just wanted to play around with the fucking morphing gun, yeah, didn't yeah. they? The morphing button on the keyboard. I want to do it today. I want to press it. No, actually, I'm George Lucas. I'm going to press it. But I'm Ron Howard and I want to press it today. Because I was thinking, why did Ron Howard do this? It's so different to everything Ron Howard did before and after. Yeah. Well, Ron Howard, I think, gets sort of a bit of a bad rep because he's known now as the safe pair of hands. You know, he came in and did mm. solo because Phil Phil Lord and Phil Lord and Chris Miller, they got sort of booted off the Han Solo movie. Yeah. So Ron Howard came in and finished it for them. But I think Brought that, Warwick Davis back. Oh yeah, he did bring Warwick Davis back, exactly. Yeah. But I think that I mean when he made this, he had just done Splash and Cocoon which were both sort of genre films and they were both box office hits. And so I think he's kind of... adults. This is a kid's film. Yeah, but I mean, that's okay because it's still working in the realm of, of the fantastical. And I think mm-hmm. actually, for me, he's actually a really good fit for this because he sort of invests in the characters. He allows the characters to sort of to live fully in this world He's got a great sense of, of scale. You know, it feels like this epic quest. You go on this quest with, with Willow and Mad Mardigan, which is just an amazing name. He's, he uses the practical effects. He understands the romance of this quest. He understands the, you know, the, the, the romance of the, the entire thing. So I, don't, I feel like, why not Ron Howard? I think he was just like, right place, right time. And it's no bad thing to be considered capable and good to work with, you know? Oh, I, look, I wasn't dissing young Ronnie, young um, <laughs> Richie Cunningham. I was just thinking, why would Ron Howard do a project like this, considering his other films? Yeah. It just seems very, if it seems like an anomaly. Like, I'm always wondering, why did he do The Grinch? Yeah. <laughs> it was very, it was a very bizarre choice. But I guess maybe, you know, when you are at the top of the director's pile and you've been there, done that, you kind of go through a period where you go, I want to try different things now. Sometimes yeah. it works. Other times you end up being Steven Spielberg for the past 15 years mm. or Ridley Scott for the past 30. <laughs> I mean, he clearly has, he's clearly attracted to fantasy. You know, I, I always find it weird that he did a beautiful, beautiful mind and stuff like that. I'm like, what? Why would Ron Howard do a beautiful mind? So I think he does have that kind of fantasy itch that he's wanted to scratch every once in a while. And Willow is just one of them. And George Lucas, why George Lucas wanted to do it, I think is it goes back to the fact that Star Wars is a fantasy. It's a fairy tale. You know, I think that George Lucas just loves uh fairy tales and so this is is clearly his nod to the hobbit you know basically J.R.R. tolkien and he says that he wanted to do a story about a little guy going up against a big bad evil which is what all of his stories are about but this time he all wanted of them. it to be yeah every single yeah, one yeah. <laughs> like i was watching it going okay this is just thx 1138 uh-huh You've got the little guy, as in, look, THX one three eight is like set in a George Orwellian environment where people are housed underground and there's an, or I can never say the word, authoritarian, faceless government. So THX one one three eight, the main character, he goes against the grain and and escapes. 
Luke Skywalker goes against the grain and escapes the fucking farm. Mm-hmm. Even even American graffiti is about how do these 1950s kids go against the grain of American culture, not go to Vietnam and leave Modesto, obviously, it's yeah. George Lucas's um, um, hometown. It's, you know, allegorical. Um, how do they go against that and, and live their own life, not the life that their parents want to live? Everything George Lucas does is about getting out of the farm. Willow is a fucking farmer. <laughs> he yeah. is a little Luke Skywalker. Yeah. He's a farm boy. He wants to do good. You know, he has inherent sorcery. Hmm, does that sound like a Jedi? But he doesn't want to go on an adventure, which is the one thing that is very different. Luke wants to get out of the farm. Willow does not want to leave that farm. But that's more of like a Bilbo Baggins thing, I think. Does that make Willow more of a Jedi than Luke Skywalker? Because, as we know, adventure, excitement. A Jedi craved not these things. Mm, Yeah, that's a good point, possibly. Because he doesn't do it for the adventure. He doesn't want the adventure. Willow kind of... The first thing he says when the baby washes up on the thing is like, oh, just put it back and we'll pretend we didn't see it. (laughs) Oh, you must be watching a different version to me. Oh, why? What did you... In my version... Well, in my version, he said, fucking burn it, bin it, drown it, we'll eat it. I think he might have um, special editioned we'll George it. Lucas to his own film. Yeah. Because <laughs> there was a CGI moment where they're stomping on the baby. Did you uh, see that bit? That's no. not in my version, no. I had the child no, friendly. I'm one. watching the, the Redux. The dark side. <laughs> watching Willow Now Redux. So it's just like cut. 10 minutes of, of the baby arriving at the village and then an hour of Willow just stomping on the baby, making it tenderized for dinner. Yeah, with a brand new score by John Williams. <laughs> 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 Jurassic Park. They reused it in Jurassic Park, yeah. Gonna kick the baby. Na, 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 na. Gonna make the fight. Who likes the baby? Oh my God, that's a dog in a pig costume. <laughs> <laughs> Did film. you catch George Lucas's two fingers up to the critics in this film? Yes, and I love it. And I didn't realise it was this until I read it today. But please tell me again, because I love it so much. So the character, the bad guy with the beard and the uh, not Skeletor mask um, is General Kale, named after Pauline Kale, who, as far as I can remember, she fucking hated Star Wars. Mm. So that means George Lucas said, well, I hate you then because I hate everyone that hates Star Wars. When she reviewed Willow, she acknowledged the fact that the villain was named after her. So she was like, I'll take that. Thanks. Thanks, George. <laughs> Which you probably wore as a badge of honour. Yeah, I'm, f- I'm immortalised in a fantasy film. Uh, and the two-headed monster, which looked really cool, is mm. called Ebersick, named after Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, yeah. America's two most mainstream movie <laughs> critics. critics. Yeah. A bit like um, Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo on BBC yeah. Five Live. Beavers and Butthead. Yeah, all of them. Um, <laughs> Beavers and Butthead. <laughs> that's the thing that's funny about this is that it it is a fantasy it's a quest film but it doesn't feel stuffy and it doesn't feel like it's completely um sort of in awe of lord of the rings and 
you know, all of those big kind of epic fantasy quest films. It's playful, it's fun. Mad Martigan is hilarious. And it's got things like making silly names for things, just as like little in-jokes. And there's this weird thing that apparently if you listen, if you play the film at the same time as uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall, it synchronizes weirdly in the same way that Dark Side of the Moon synchronizes with Wizard of Oz. Like there's all this really? weird stuff that feeds into it that it's just brilliant. I listen to The Wall and Dark Side of the Moon quite a lot, so I'll have to um, link them up. But which version of Willow are we talking about? The original or the the new one with the 10-minute baby-kicking uh, section? Oh, well, apparently one example of the sound synchronizing is when the baby is crying on the screen, it happens at the same time an infant is crying in Is There Anybody Out There? <laughs> Yeah, and there's a bit where... And that's the only thing it links up. Everything else is... Uh, no, everything else is... Not. I think I mean, there's no walls. Is there a wall in Willow? I don't think there is. There's a massive wall to get in a castle, but... yeah, No, that is the castle. <laughs> <laughs> a castle is made of walls, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> really? A castle is made of walls. Print that on a fucking T-shirt. Um, is Willow a pro-feminist film? Ah, uh, well... I, you know, I am a feminist, so I really, really would love to say that it is. But I don't know, because... So if we're looking at the romance, which is between Val Kilmer's Mad Mardigan and Mad Sorcia, Mardigan! Mad Mardigan! Mad Mardigan! so many times. You are you a... great. Um, Joanne Wally plays Sorcia, so they have this romance. But it's almost like she... Why does she fall for him? And why does she why does she allow him to kidnap her? She's a kick ass. She survived like having an evil queen for a mum. She's got a sword yeah. that looks like a fucking a serial killer's weapon. You know, it's a serrated sword. Oh, I see. Right. Um, you know, she is really badass. So why does she allow herself to be taken off by him so easily? That does feel a little bit like male saviour. Absolutely, and I think that. All of the powerful women are magical, so... Well, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing, but it, it, if you're looking at it from at a feminist perspective, it's like there's the, the woman in the woods who is like queen of the brownies. She's clearly super duper powerful, but she's sort of like almost on her own and she only gets to sort of like rule over tiny little brownie things. And then Finn Rizal, her power meant that she ended up exiled as like a little possum or whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know what it is. And Bav Maud is like batshit crazy. So all of the powerful <laughs> women in the film are in some way diminished by their sort of power, I guess you could say. But they're in charge. Bav Morda rules mm. and General Kale answers to her and her daughter. Yeah. He's third in line and he's answering to the daughter and the big boss queen the most powerful good woman is that Finn Rizal. one that was what's her name Finn Rizal. she's incredibly powerful so mm. powerful that she's able to face off against Bav Morda mm. ah, yeah, 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 yeah. the baby is female and Willow is dedicated to her mm. Mad Mardigan is dedicated to her yeah. The whole film is about protecting women, serving women, 
or being a badass, powerful woman. Mm. Yeah, because Willow is Willow has no power, has no power, and his only agency is for the women. Yeah, yeah. So it it is really it is really pro feminist, and the most the most badass character could be considered to be the midwife who sacrifices herself for a woman yeah, to save the baby. That's so true. She gets eaten by the dogs. I mean, pig monsters. <laughs> Knock Mars. No, that's really true. I never really sort of assessed it that deeply, but that is so true because, it, yeah, it is, about, it is about female empowerment. I just think the Sorsha thing slightly undermines it, but that's okay because you're allowed to fall in love. That's all right. Um, all right, but take away all the sorcery. Mm. The status of those women is the same. Yeah, yeah. Bavmada is still top of the the power tree, mm. rivaled only by the crazy one, <laughs> Thin Rosel. <laughs> right under Bavmada is still the daughter. The daughter has no powers; she just has a big sword. Mm-hmm. But yet, General Kale, named after a woman, is still yeah. third in line. Yeah, the child he doesn't yet have powers it's only power is a birthmark we've all got a fucking birthmark right <laughs> but willow is still dedicated to her and mag mardigan doesn't have any powers and uh-huh. he's still going after and helping people helping that kid you are good mag mardigan you are good you are great where the fuck is willow from <laughs> michigan or yorkshire i couldn't place the accent where is he from <laughs> and his friend migosh is like full-on jersey <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Willow. No, Willow. Do the right thing. Do the right thing, Willow. Uh, Warren Davis is great. He's so good in it. He's just so likeable. 18 years old, he holds himself, especially against Val Kilmer, who is clearly the, the biggest... He's the name. He's the star here. Uh-huh. He's the guy who is the actor. He played Batman. He played Jim Morrison. He was fucking batshit crazy in... Uh, bad Lieutenant Port Call Authority. Oh, yes. Port, yes, he was. Port, was it Port of Call New Orleans? Wasn't it called that? Yeah. yeah. And then he did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang as well. Yes. Yeah. So, Warwick Davis, who doesn't have an acting background, mm. held himself. He's not going to win an Oscar. Mm-hmm. He's not He's not a method actor, but he's clearly a natural talent that held him, held himself against seasoned actors. Throughout that whole film. You can't take your eyes off of him. Yeah, he's great. And he he kind of has nuance and he's likeable, but not a drip. He's funny. He's really funny. Like when the pig comes running out from underneath the table. It's like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Really funny. I think he just has a natural funny bone. You know, I've seen him host things like Nevermind the Buzzcocks and he's funny on his quiz show and in interviews. He just Mm -hmm. seems to have a quite a funny, jovial natural funny bone to him yeah have you seen the little teaser trailer for the willow streaming series no that's on disney plus i haven't watched it yet is he in it he's going to be in it but yeah there's like a a prequel or a sequel uh i think it's a sequel it's still set in that world but it's a whole new story obviously um okay but he is really funny because basically the, the whole trailer is him it's not a real trailer it's like a meet the cars kind of trailer and so it, oh, like it's him going over to this like picnic bench and all the young cast are on the table having a chat and he goes over and he's like, oh, hi, everyone. You know, it's great to see you all. And they're like, who are you? 
<laughs> there's a um, he can't get his name right it's very funny there's a lovely little um i guess it's a behind the scenes sizzle thing um for i think it's for the 30th or the 25th anniversary blu-ray release where he and val kilmer are sat there reading the back of the dvd box or the blu-ray box uh-huh. and they're having the back and forth and they're hilarious yeah it's like a so nice good. little nice little double act would you um, not think that val kilmer slightly missed out on comedy because in this well no because he he would go on to do kiss kiss bang bang and he'd go on to do bad lieutenant yeah but he's not known for comedy he's known more for sort of actually being being funny and being hot whereas this film (laughs) really allowed him to like when he's like tonight like he really is so funny when he gets hit it's very the... broad in this film yeah i know but still i think it's great it's a great performance it's very broad structurally the film i think is a little bit bitty not bitty mm. in the uh breastfeeding sense no it felt a bit disjointed it kind of felt like we're gonna go over here we're gonna do a mini mission learn some exposition then we're going to go over here and do a mini mission then we're going to go over here and do a mini mission then there's a two-headed monster we'll do that mission and then we'll go over here and we'll do the big baddie and then we'll go home for crumpets yeah yes that kind of is the structure of a fantasy film but the connecting threads didn't feel like they were there so it kind of my attention began to wane and i realized i feel like i'm watching extended cutscenes from a video game i can yeah i can kind of see that it, it is a bit too padded like it's a two hour plus film it's like what two hours, two hours six minutes yeah yeah so it is, this long. is a 90 minute film and i don't know why it needs to be this long yeah i think that there are certain moments they could have done a bit faster like they're at the crossroads bit for quite a long time waiting many crossroads yeah <laughs> they seem to always be at some sort oh, of no. crossroads and they even cut out a bit where when willow comes back oh, from yeah. saving finn Rizal from the island he's meant to have this massive storm sequence that spent they took two weeks filming it two and weeks then they to just film cut and then it. they went oh yeah fish looks, shit. looks worse than jewels why did we have that in the first place <laughs> yeah yeah it is a bit baggy but i think that when it gets to the the you know the good beats you're there you know you you can't say no to a troll fight, can you? They weren't trolls. I was like, where are the fucking trolls? Those are monkeys from 2001. <laughs> Those are the apes. Slightly burned monkeys. Yeah, it was only after when they were like, oh, someone like, we escaped the trolls. I was like, oh, those were the trolls. Because they, at one point, Val Kilmer steps on a pile of shit and goes, trolls. And then I didn't see any fucking <laughs> trolls. <laughs> it's, that's That's what Buffy used to do when... Um, they needed sort of a monster that was on four legs or whatever. They would just put a guy in a furry suit and it it could be anything. It could be a werewolf. It could be like a hellhound. That was it. Was it like, was it like in Power Rangers where it was like, oh, rubber monster of the week? Yeah, exactly. I like the trolls. I think the trolls were really horrible. But I mean, it, again, I saw this a lot as a kid. So a lot of it. Yeah. Is when did over. you first watch this? I mean, it has to be one of the ones I watched from my childhood video shop, which was just wall-to-wall fantasy films. Um, so I just feel like it has to be one of those. Got no, I don't have the memory of the first watch, but I just know I watched it a lot. Isn't it strange when we've seen something so young, we either are more forgiving of its 
lackings or we just can't see it because it's so mm. ingrained from such a young age like yes hook is rubbish but it is brilliant <laughs> it's funny you say hook because i rewatched it uh, a couple of weeks ago after, after i'd had my booster jab and just didn't want to do anything and it, i noticed really for the first time this time how if you took away the music it's panto you know, it, it really is <laughs> yeah. just sort of a total panto excursion. But when you I add on... War. Yeah, when you add on that music, it's so emotional. That music is sort of a class above the film itself that it adds something yeah. so huge. Like, actually, I think something similar happens with Willow, where the music is so fantastic. James Horner's music is brilliantly, you know, uh, sort of buoyant and exciting when it needs to be and then really quite creepy when it's Bav Morda. It's such a great score that it adds so much to the film. Yeah. And Bav Morda is... She wouldn't be out of place in um, Hook. She's so over the top. That actress yeah. is having a whale of a time. I love her. She's one of my absolute favourite villains. <laughs> she obviously saw Masters of the Universe and went, oh, exactly. I can do that. Yeah. That, I could do that, Frank Lagella. Watch this. Yeah, watch out. I'm coming. I feel like that's mm. my perfect kind of villain is sort of campy, but there is something quite creepy about them. Like, she is quite creepy. Um, because she's so manic, that's why. She's got a great costume. And then when she's performing that ceremony at the end, and she's kind of gone a bit haggard and her, her eyes are all, you know, bunched up and stuff. Um, she's basically hung over. Yeah, she's been up all night performing a ceremony. All the red mist and stuff and the that the effects at the end, I actually thought, was so much better than the morphine. Well, because that was animated. I, I think it looks great. Hand and the two-headed animation. monster looks great. The um, the little brownies, Kevin Pollock and whoever mm-hmm. else. Welcome back to the podcast, Kevin Pollock. He was in Red State. Um, Very different that looks, film. <laughs> that looks great as well. It's the yeah. morphine that... I mean, the morphine... In the context of this film, the morphine looks out of place because it is so advanced yeah. for 1988 that when you look at it against, you know, compare it to the effects of the time, it looks so out of place. Yeah. It's clear. And, and you know what? You know, well done to them. Well done to them because the morphine, that would become a, a massive thing in the next couple of years. Terminator yeah. 2 was three years away from this Jurassic Park was five years away episode one was 11 years away the um the black and white Michael Jackson video was three years away yeah so so clearly clearly Willow in that respect is an important Mm. film but like I said on the Empire Strikes Back episode you should be thinking about the story first and how the CGI can support the story I kind of feel here they went, let's use that morphing thing. No, but I've I've always liked that because it does actually add a sense of tension and peril to that moment because he's been trying to change her into back into a young, beautiful woman so many times and failed. Um, that it is like, is she ever going to be able to become a human again? And then so you, when you see this thing morphing in this really quite uncanny way... It's like, come on, Willow, you can do it. You know, you really want him to be able to do it. So I think it does add something. I think the technology at the time could have achieved that <laughs> just as well. Yeah, possibly. You could have had great a bit of animation. Yeah. It just, it just looked out of place. 
That's all I'm saying, Josh. Oh. I'm not attacking Willow. <laughs> Don't you dare attack my Willow. Why doesn't Mad Mardigan fall in love with Willow when he gets hit by the dust of broken hearts? So the rule ah, seems to be it's meant to be you get smacked you in the see, face right? with the fairy dust and the yeah. first thing you see, as we see when the brownie sees the cat, you fall in love with it. But the first thing that the Mad Mardigan looks at is Willow. They live in a heteronormative environment, so of course he's uh, going to fall in love with the blondie. And it was a plot point, I guess, as well. And it was like, that had to happen so they could have some romance. But it was always a bit like, yeah. you did look at Willow first. And Willow has sort of... Yeah, like, but Willow's yeah. already got someone back at the farm, hasn't he? Oh, yeah, he's got his wife's hair, ponytail on his belt, so maybe that sort of is its own yeah, magic. That's- Fucking, I thought that was disgusting. Giving someone some dirty old hair is a good luck. I knew Fuck that off. you would find that disgusting. I think That's it's really romantic disgusting. and lovely. <laughs> right, so if, if you were going off to like, let's say Comic-Con or an adventure on, on the book, you're going on a book tour, you'd be okay with your boyfriend cutting off some hair, wrapping it up and saying, here, this yeah. is for good luck. Be lovely. No, no, that's out of order. It probably stank as well. Old no, hair. No, it didn't. She would have washed it first. Like a, like a dirty barber's floor. Filthy. <laughs> so what's the connection between Willow and the Shadow Glass? Um, it's just Willow is very much part of the tapestry of 80s fantasy. And so I couldn't write a book about 80s fantasy without referencing Willow. Um, I think I'd, I mean, I'd love to give a more sort of uh, deep and meaningful answer. But I guess it introduced me to quest stories in the same way that Never Ending Story did. Um, and so... And I guess similarly, the idea of like the little guy fighting the big bad evil, which is something that I've always loved in stories. You know, you look at things like Buffy and He-Man and, you know, all of those great things. Yeah, it, it's the quest aspect that I kind of use in the book, but also just I wanted to reference it as well. So it, it's what I call like a pure reference in the Shadow Glass, where it isn't necessarily... Uh, a reference point within the story or within like a character reference it's just something that i wanted to celebrate i think it's probably the one of the most referenced films in the shadow class <laughs> um outside of like never ending story that was willow directed by sir ronald howard Joshua, give us a clue as to what's coming up in the next film. In the next episode, we have two snakes coming together, facing each other, but they're one. That sounds dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Be sure to catch that dirt on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and wherever you get your pods from. And we're on Twitter at TornstubsPod. Come and lavish us with your willow love. We are off to stamp on a baby. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Josh Winning. Cut! Willow!